0: me as I pray these words from the Apostle Paul out of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of both the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? And who has given to him anything he has not first given to them? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Lord, may that be true in this place today and in our lives each day for the fame of In the glory of the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah. We're into week six, so hopefully by now you know where it is. It's just to the left of the Psalms. If you're just joining us for the first time today, whether it's here or online. And we're we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, That's not exactly where we'll start. We're going to start in chapter 7, because we left off in chapter 6. Like I said, we're in week 6 here, and what we've seen is we've seen how Nehemiah was moved by this great need of um, the fact that the people of God had become cold-hearted to the things of God. He then is sent to Jerusalem, had never been there, and he's sent there to rally the people to the cause of seeing God glorified again. Um, We saw in chapter 3 how how they were all in this together, we called it, as they worked on the wall with the people next to them, next and It takes the whole body to build God's kingdom up. And then in chapter 4, we saw how that when God is on the move, when the spirit is on the move, Satan will strive to keep pace. When the Spirit of God is on the move, Satan will strive to keep pace. It, if, you're rece- if, you're, if you're experiencing increased opposition, it doesn't necessarily mean you're sinning. right? It might actually mean that you are gathering the enemy's attention, which means you are a ferocious soldier for the kingdom of Christ. And that's a good thing. And then last week we saw how... Um, Nehemiah, through his leadership, he was called to lead God's people into restoring the glory that was the city of Jerusalem, and they finally rebuilt the wall. Who remembers how many days it took them? 52 days. Why was that a big deal? Like, what was the big deal about the wall and, and having it rebuilt in 52 days? What did it reveal? There was nothing special about 52 days. It could have been any but the fact that it was this great work was done in 52 days. Why did that matter? Only God could do it. Remember we talked at the end of last week about how if you can explain it, God probably didn't do it. Right? Too much of what's going on in the church today, too much of what's going on in the church today could happen without the Holy Spirit even being present. And that should terrify us. Right? One of my favorite quotes by Warren Wearsby, he says that anything, I know this one was actually, I should buy Blackaby, I think it was. He says, anything done apart from the spirit, power, and word of God will fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. And that's, there's huge truth to that. And we see that happening even in the church today. So if you look back at chapter 6, actually, in verse 16, he said this, this was what the big deal was. When all our enemies heard of it, that the wall had been built in 52 days, the nations around us were afraid and felt great and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. In our vernacular, we would say it this way, can't compete with that. right? They, the other nations are going, can't compete with that. Cannot compete with what God is doing. But guys, just like the wall being built in 52 days was a miraculous work, so was how it was done. God's people coming together to get it done was was part of the glory story. And it has always been true. God, like I said a few minutes ago when I was up here, God has always chosen to work through people because when he uses our brokenness for his glorification, he gets even more glory. Because because people are like, man, if he can if God can work through that mess called Doug, He can work through anybody. And, and and He gets He gets the glory, not us. And so this what we have called here for a long time, this collective witness, this corporate witness, the idea of God's people coming together, using their individual gifting to build up the body of Christ, has always been God's plan because it brings God the most glory. That He has always been about Bringing him himself glory, which in turn brings us revival. Because when we see revival, when we see God's glory, it revives our hearts. It starts to fan to flames the gift that he's been given. Like It's like, blow, it's like the Holy Spirit blowing on the ember of a, of a coal in our heart that maybe has grown a little bit cold. And if you look at chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 7, it, it, we see, because we're going to skip chapter 7... But I want to point out, pretty much all chapter 7 is, is a list of God's committed people. I'm going to say that again. Almost all of chapter 7. So let me just read the first couple of verses. Now when the wall had been built, and, it had, and, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and singers, and the Levites, and they had all been appointed... I gave to my brother Hananiah and, and Hananiah, the governor of the, castle in, of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful and God-fearing man more than many. So he's just trying to find some God-fearing people to help him out. And he says, And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open till the sun is hot. Now jump down to verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Remember what, um, when Jeff taught on chapter 4, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another, Nehemiah said. So whenever you hear the trumpet blow, when someone in our today, when someone raises their hand, rally to that point, and our God will fight for us. Nehemiah is taking time in chapter 7 to go, here are the people that are moving into the city to rally to that point. We would say today as New Testament believers, here are the people that are coming into the the true church, the gospel-proclaiming church, to rally to the point to see revival come. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to lead revival? Here's Here's the big idea for today. The big idea. Why must the word of God be a mandate for our ministry? Now you say, wait a minute, what does that have to do with leading revival? We're going to see, exactly, that's what the passage is going to show us. But I, but I want to stop for just a minute, and, and, I, and I didn't think about this until, um, actually, right before we, I got in the car to get over here. But I fear that some of you are going to hear the word ministry in my big idea. Why does God's word have to be a mandate in our ministry? And we think church. Or we think parachurch organization. We think of some sort of organizational ministry. Guys, I love, again, Warren Wiersbe. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. He was 90-something years old. He'd been a pastor for 70-something years. He wrote a book many years ago that's one of the best leadership books I ever read. It's not about leadership. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Many of the leaders here have read it. Um, it's called On Being a Servant of God. It's a little book. And in there, one of the, I, I, it's one of those books where I've highlighted almost everything. So I'm not sure why I even bothered highlighting it. Because if everything's highlighted, what's the point of highlighting? But as an aside, one of the things I highlighted, underlined, circled, and starred was, a, was his quote for ministry. Ministry is not a church. Ministry is not even an organization. Ministry is, and I, and I wish I'd have thought about it sooner so I could put it up here, ministry is when divine resources from God. Resource, resources don't necessarily mean material things. Resources could be words of wisdom. Resources could be a, a caring heart. Resources could be a lot of stuff. When divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Ministry happens when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Begins and ends with God. We're in the middle. We're the loving channels meeting human needs. Why does the word in that process matter so much? Because it matters to God. Like, tremendously. And if you've been here at Cornerstone for very long, you know that's not a surprise to anybody that I would stand up here and say that the Word of God is really important. But we're going to see just how it brings about revival. Because what this passage is going to show us is it's going to show us that when we share God's Word, we are moved by the power of God's Word to be obedient to God's Word. And chapter 8 is going to show us that. So we're going to jump in to our first point and see the first thing about why does, why does, why does having God's word in our ministry matter so much to God because it's, the way, it's where the power is ultimately I guess would be the answer and I could probably say amen and, and sit down however we're going to keep going I want, I want to pick it up in our first point sharing God's word I want to start at the very end of chapter 7 in verse 73 it says so the priests the Levites the gatekeepers the singers and some of the people the temple servants and all of Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. I, wanted to st- I want to start there because it's important that we kind of get an idea. of j- back-, back to the flow chart I was showing you earlier, the colored m- Old Testament map. Just how exact God is in his timing. The seventh month is a big month in the Jewish calendar. The seventh month is when three of the seven feasts happen in the Jewish calendar. Now what you have to remember, what we're going to see in a minute is these people were not practicing those those feasts. They had forgotten about them. They they didn't orchestrate this moment to go, what we're about to read next is going to happen at exactly God's timetable. But the Feast of Trumpets is the first day of the seventh month. The Feast of Atonement is seven days later. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is in the middle of the month. And, and I'm saying this in air quotes for those of you that are listening or something to the message you know, audibly. Just by chance, God moves on their hearts to, to make happen in chapter 8 what happens at the beginning of the seventh month. Which is a week later. So, here, so, so look at what happens a week later. It says this in, in, in chapter 8 verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel now we gotta stop there for a second and say wait a second who is Ezra well Ezra you may have heard of him before because he's the book right before Nehemiah in fact in the in the Jewish Bible it used to just be called first and second Ezra it was just one book right Ezra came to Jerusalem 15 years before Nehemiah did in 458 BC so he's been in, in his book, in Ezra chapter 7, it says, and so Ezra, a scribe, a man who knew the word of God, went to Jerusalem. He's been there 15 years with the word of God. And he was there to try to get the temple rebuilt with, with men like Haggai and Zechariah and to try to get temple worship restored. But, but they're just he was constantly hitting a wall. And 15 years later, here, here are God's people stone-cold dead to the Word of God. You say, why, what happened? Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit needs like a a supernatural moment to wake up God's people. Something like, oh, I don't know, rebuilding the wall in 52 days. Something like, oh, I don't know, a worldwide pandemic that shuts down the church. Maybe that's God's way of waking up the world but more specifically, of waking up his people. Because the Holy Spirit is going to bring revival to these people who have have had, they had everything they needed. They had Ezra, they had the word of God, they were in God's city, they just were doing nothing with it. Until something, and this something was Nehemiah's leadership to get them to rebuild the wall, got them to start asking about sharing the word. Because if you look... The other thing that's really interesting about this is they actually, it says they told Ezra to bring the book. All of a sudden, because they've seen this amazing work of God, they're like, oh yeah, there's that, dude Ezra, there's that dude Ezra, that scribe. He's got the word. Maybe we ought to look at that now. And so they come, and they're like, hey, can you please bring the word? So look at verse 2. It says, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, before men and women, and all who, who could understand it... The, under who could understand what they heard so that this means kids another reason why you're in here and you're not off in some other room somewhere because it is saying basically everyone who can possibly understand the, le, the, the word being spoken should be with the people together on the first day of the seventh month. That's the feast of trumpets so isn't that just a beautiful picture of how God's word is going to start for the first time in a long time in this is going to start going forward with boldness on the day that is the Feast of Trumpets it says now the second th- and this isn't I've taught through the feasts I'm not gonna spend time talking about them you can research what the feasts all mean and how they're pictured Um, how they're just pictures of what's to come in the New Testament that's not for today Um, we have taught on those in the past though but look at what happens now and he says and he read he read from it the Word of God facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Guys, the book of the law is just their way of saying it's like the Torah, or probably probably more specifically the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So I want you to put your finger in Nehemiah and turn to Deuteronomy. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-one. It's to the left of where we are. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Matthew, that's, that's the New Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book. It's between um, Numbers and Joshua. N- Deuteronomy 31. And I just want to read to you verses 12 and 13 out of Deuteronomy 31. Now, I want you to understand something. This was written, the Pentateuch was written by Moses, the guy we're reading about right now in our group readings, right? This was written by Moses. 1,400 years before what we were in in Nehemiah. Do you understand? I'm sorry, it was written in 1,400 B.C., so it was written 1,000 years before Nehemiah, roughly. So he wrote this right before they enter the Promised Land. Deuteronomy is three sermons that Moses gives to, his peop, to God's people right before he dies and Joshua takes them into the Promised Land And he's going to write this a thousand years before what we just read. Now look look at how important God says his word is through Moses. And how important the assembly is. It's not just the word, it's the word with God's gathered people. Verse 12, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within the towns, that's the people that aren't even believers, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as you live in the land you are going over to, in, to Jordan to possess. Guys, a thousand years before Nehemiah, right before Joshua was going to take them into the promised land, before they're going to take over the, the promised land, and they're going to establish the kingdom of God and, and become this nation, the, God warns them gather together and read my word regularly and yet it just is like God's people over and over and over and over again throughout human history to wander away from the Word of God we just are we are leaky people and we're a fickle bunch it's it's the way it is and rather than read oh Lord, Nehemiah how could they possibly do that or oh Moses is time how could they possibly do that guys we need to ask ourselves the question how 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 can we possibly do that i know again i'm preaching to the choir but guys how often is your bible being opened in your home apart from sunday right we we will the enemy doesn't even need to encourage us not to be in God's word. We're pretty good at that on our own. We will wander from the word of God because just, be, just because. Because for some of the reasons that we're going to see its effect on our lives, that we're going to see in chapter 8. So I'm just going to keep going and let the word do the work. For chapter or In verse 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose, and then it lists 13 guys, and I'm not going to go through and stutter through all their names, um, there's six guys on his right hand, seven guys on his left hand, and it says, and Ezra, in verse five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, all, and, and he opened it, and the people stood. Here's the whole point of, of, of those two verses. It's to show the exaltation, literally, to show the exaltation, not of Ezra and those 13 guys. To show the exaltation of the word of God. They built what amounts to Podium, big enough for fourteen men to stand on, so that all of the people could clearly see that it was God's word that was being read from. Guys, it's part of why. And this, I'll tell you, I I started out like a while back. Going, man, it would be so much easier for me to to teach from this thing, to teach from my iPad, just because, man, it's all right there. My notes are all right there. It's just, it's so much easier. Here's my problem, and and I and I use my iPad all the time. I had it up here a few minutes ago. I'm not anti-technology. I'm not. I have an iPad, a smartphone. We even stream television in our home. <gasps> right? I'm not against it. I am just telling you that that right about the time of right about Christmas time, I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that the problem is that we can you'll see this. Same words. I use my electronic Bible every morning, guys. I use my electronic Bible every morning because it helps me in my morning routine as I'm stretching my back out because I have back problems to be able to hold it in one hand. I also use my physical Bible, but I use my, I'm not anti-electronic Bible even. But here's the problem. We will come to this for all kinds of information, even good information. We'll come to this for the weather. We'll come to this for sports. We'll come to this for how can I help, you know, with some ailment with me. We'll come, so what ends up happening, if, if this is what I'm teaching from, the subliminal message you're getting is, there's, there's, that's just another app. He's just reading from another app. Yeah, he's reading God's word but it's just there's just an app for that I was so convicted that no when I when I'm reading from this I'm reading from this for one reason and that is to hear from a holy God and guys for us we have to again not saying electronic Bibles are bad if you're sitting here on your phone right now don't hide it and go I'm saying for me to stand up here and read from the Word of God I am praying that it conveys the message not wow Doug knows the word but wow God is speaking. This is not another app. This is the holy, inspired, bone-piercing, soul-quenching word of God. Thank you for being amening. All right. One of the other things, and, and again, not really in my notes, but I just wanted to mention this to you. Part of why we try to arrange this room this way, part, back, back to why they built this platform, it was to show... God's people, the importance of God's word. Part of why the reformers—you know what the reformers? Martin Luther, those dudes. The reformers. What they did was they took the Bible, which was off to the side of the of the Catholic Church at the time, and they put it front and center on purpose. It's part of why, like, when you watch old movies, like in, in the and in the in the in the the more high church. High church means like Episcopalian. Um, some of the higher Presbyterians, the, the, the high church, like, like if you watch, um, if you've ever seen the original Bishop's Wife, the, the bishop is teaching from a podium that's off to the side and elevated. It's elevated which is great but it's off to the side. Why? Because they were trying to figure out, and, and what we're even trying to figure out, in our little space we have right here and in the new space that, by the way, forgot to mention this earlier, as of about six o'clock last night we signed a lease, we have a spot, Praise Jesus, yeah, amen, our architect is working on trying to get the plans with his people, even though they're simple, it still takes time so we can get them to the city as soon as possible, we'll keep you informed, but praise the Lord, thank you Lord Jesus for answering that prayer, for moving on the heart of the landlord. for giving us that space, what I want to pray right now in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do, and you will get us into that space in a way that, that the people around us, that are not even of us, would say, I can't compete with that. That was God, that you would get the glory in Jesus' name, Amen. So back to my other little tangent. So I have oh my, <laughs> part of why we're trying, like we're trying, like part of why I asked um, John Morris, our hospitality person, who's off seeing his, his mom right now. Um, I asked him, let's move the communion elements back towards the center of the room. We need the cross towards the center of the room. We need the word of God towards the center of the room. Why? Because it's. Who is the center of the church? Jesus. When we were reading Revelation. And he says, to the, to the seven churches write this. Do you remember what the, the vision is that, that John sees? Man, I wish we had time for this. He's like, I see, standing in the center of the church, Christ. So we want to, I'm not the center. I said, I told John, I'm like, if there was a way for me to teach that, about that, from here... I would, because I'm not the center of the church. If you're coming here to hear me, yeah, you can do better. Like, honestly, th- this. This is, I love you too, but I love Jesus way more, right? I, this is what the center of the church is supposed to be about. That's a really way more time than I meant to spend on that, but I think it matters. Because how we do church in our gatherings matters. We are not here to be entertained. We are not here to get tips on how to live a better life now. We are not, guys get this, we are not here to become a better version of ourselves. We are here to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the truth of God's word. And if we're not doing that, we should quit. Okay, back to my notes. So, why is God's word a mandate for ministry? One, because when we share God's word, we are moved by the power of God's word. Now, watch what God's word does. Because when you read in the the rest of of that first part of chapter 8, when he says all the people, so in verse 5, all the people stood at the reading of the word. And then in verse 7, or and then in verse 8 he says, and they read the book from the law clearly and they gave the sense to the people It's the unders- who understood the reading. Here's, here's what this means. Here, ultimately, here's what this means. Ezra and his homies that were on the stage are going to go down to the people and explain to them Here's what you just heard. Guys, part of gathering in church is for people, and, and not just in church, but in your D groups, in, in any of your disciples. You could be having coffee with a, brother, with, with a couple of brothers at, at Starbucks or something. Bring the word of God to bear in the conversation because that's where the power is. But it's important for, to have s- some knowledge about what the word of God says so it's not just what the blind lead in the blind. It's back to what I shared during the gospel moment time. Part of why we want to know God's story better is so that we can share God's story better. We want to be a church that is about training, training people to teach the word. Tra- that's ultimately what these guys are doing. They're, they, are, they have been trained in the word of God by Ezra. They're now gonna go down into the audience to say, hey, that thing that you just heard in Hebrew, which oh by the way wasn't even the language they spoke, they spoke Aramaic, let me tell you exactly what it meant Like, here's what it said, here's what it means, and here's how it applies to your life. He says it this way. He says that they read it clearly, gave the sense, so that the people understood. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? When we come to the Word of God in any setting, including on a Sunday morning gathering, but not only on a Sunday morning gathering, we should come to it saying, what does the Word say what does it mean and how does it apply? And then revival comes. And only then revival comes. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to transform the people of God into the image of the Son of God. I am not going to stop saying that. The, Word, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to transform the people of God into the image of the Son of God. That is the way revival comes. That is revival. Guys, We pray too much we we prayed, we've been praying for revival in our church, not not just since March of and it's weird how time like we're in a time warp because of COVID. But it's not since March of twenty twenty when we couldn't gather. We started praying for revival in our church in March of twenty nineteen when we reorganized our service a little bit to make prayer a little bit more accessible to people. But and and for our church, and Brian has done a, a wonderful job of this, including today, for our church what we mean by revival is Fan the flames of our hearts that we might become powerful weapons for you. Too often when we pray for revival for our nation, which happened a lot during the political season, and guys, I I would sure love our nation to get back on track. But too often when we pray for revival, here's what we mean. Make us more moral. That's not revival. Now, would I love for our church to be more moral? I mean, our, our nation to be more moral? Absolutely I would. But that's not what revival is. Revival is not moving towards morality. Revival is begging God for more of Him. That's revival. Revival is when we press in to Christ and He stirs our hearts. Not just, can we behave better? Whether that's individually or as a family or as a church or as a nation. Right, revival never comes apart from the word of God. So look at what he says, Look at, look at what happens. Look at the effect it has on them. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and so now they joined together. And the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Does, it, does that seem a little odd? These people go, hey, Ezra, bring us the word. They bring the word. And these people are all weeping. You're like, that just doesn't seem like it ought to go that way except that one of the things we have to get okay with and, 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 be, and actually embrace in it is the word of God brings conviction. Right? These people had not heard the word in a long time and all of a sudden they're like, oh! <gasps> right? in, in, in Hebrews, which is a book all about Jesus Christ, our high priest, it starts with, in epochs past, Hebrews 1 verse 2 or something, it says that he spoke to us in many ways, but now, in these last days he speaks to us through his son by the way he is the word in flesh right and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us in these last days he speaks to us through the word of God and oh by the way the writer of Hebrews just plays that out throughout the whole book for example in Hebrews 4 12 for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword able to separate joint from marrow. Sounds painful. And also able to, and this is part of why we don't come to the word, guys, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of my wicked heart. Why don't we come to the word more often? We don't need, the enemy doesn't even need to encourage us not to be in the word. Because, man, I'm, it, it might actually say something to me that I don't want to hear. Because I'm holding on to something that it's going to tell me to let go of. But here's what we've got to figure out. When we actually let go of something for Christ, we lose nothing and gain everything. When we let go of our junk because the word has convicted us, like that's what's happening to these people right here in chapter 8, they lose nothing and gain everything. So we keep going. He says, and then he said to them, Go your way, eat your fat, drink your sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy, second time he says that, holy to our Lord, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength, guys, that's revival, that's reviving, the revival is coming, but there's work that's still needed to be done, guys, understand, conviction leads to repentance, repentance is what leads to revival, we want to skip all that other stuff and just get to, Lord, just fill me, man. You know, breathe afresh on me, Lord Jesus. Pour your spirit down upon me. Okay, but, but let me ask you a question. Like, not how moral are you, but how hard are you running towards him? And if you want him to come and just do all this amazing stuff in your life, and he's given us some pretty clear mandates. We saw it in Deuteronomy 31. We're seeing it right here. Read the word. Yeah, but I, I I just don't get a lot out of the Bible when I read it. And I it's just I don't I don't read the Bible. Just just bring your spirit, Lord Jesus. He's like, yeah, why, why, why would I do that? It's what I didn't know Abby was going to share. It's, it's why when we pray these these very cent, like pers, like selfish selfish prayers. He's he's going. It's not because he doesn't love us that he doesn't answer those prayers. It's because he loves us that he doesn't answer those prayers. Because he's like, that isn't going, that will make you feel better for a minute. That's what the world offers. Guys, is being in God's word, I, I loved how Mark said when he was talking about like being in community. Is being in God's word work? Just like is being in community work? The answer is yeah. That's why it's so easy for the world and Satan to offer us stuff to replace it but here's the problem what the what the stuff that we replace it with is short-lived and it's why we have to keep coming back to it again and again and again and every man in here who struggles with lust issues and oh by the way every man in here who struggles with lust issues understands the bondage that that can have in our lives because it is a short temporary feel-good moment That we have to come back to again and again and again and mo can tell you it's the same thing with narcotics and someone else can tell you it's the same thing with alcohol or streaming netflix or playing video games as a 30 year old instead of getting a job or whatever your thing is the world offers simple short and short-lived things where the word of god requires some work but it will do the work in your life it is eternal, and the work it's doing in your life is for eternal good. So, in the interest of time, we're going to kind of get to the, the last. So, so basically, why does the word matter in our ministry? Remember, in, our, in, in, just, in just interacting with people for the glory of God, by his power, for his glory, why does it matter? Because sharing God's word moves, moves us by the power of God's word to live according to God's word. And the rest of the chapter that you read there shows that what they saw, so if you look at verse 13, it says, On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses and all the people and the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So they're going, man, we need to get serious about this. So not just all of us together, but in a smaller group, we're going to come together and we're going to train so that we can teach truth of God's word in the context of community. I am not, you're going to get tired of hearing me say that over the next few weeks. Because we are all about training people to teach God's word in the context of community. So they're saying, okay, we're going to do that. And one of the things they find out is, oh, hey, there's this Feast of Booths thing. We haven't been, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. We haven't been doing that. Why haven't we been doing that? Let's do that. Like It it, it tells us, God's word doesn't say, do it if you feel like it. God's word says, on this day, from here to here, for this week, you are going to practice the Feast of Tabernacles. And and guys, get get this. Understand this. If God had started here, if he had said, hey guys, my word tells you to live in booze for a week. Why aren't you doing it? They might have done it for a little while. Maybe once. But then that would have kind of worn off they' would be like, we don't really know why we're doing that. Like, I don't really get it. What's the deal? God didn't start, God didn't say, start, get your behavior right. Tabernacles, the feast of booths, is right behavior. Get right. He starts with, here's my word. Here's the truth of my grace and my goodness, my unmerited favor and my never-ending forgiveness. And it pierced their hearts so that. When they read, hey, build yourself some booze, they went, why in the world wouldn't we? If Man, if God did all of this for me, why in the world wouldn't I step into what he's asking me to do? When my have to turns into I get to, I know I want to for the right reason. Because it's all about my love for Christ to glorify Christ. And that's what, that's ultimately, guys, that is why Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem not to rebuild a wall. He came to Jerusalem to see God revive God's people through God's word. That is how revival has always come. Look at verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last, He read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Guys, does that sound familiar to you? Day by day, they were reading God's word together as an assembly. It should. Because we're going to close with this. We're done in Nehemiah. Turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to have the music team come up. Remember what we just read. Day by day, they were reading God's word in the assembly, in the, in the gathering. In Acts chapter, so, so, let's, so let's flash forward, because okay, that's great, Doug, but that's, that was like 2,500 years ago, and I'm not really sure how it's going to help me get through today. Right, well, we've got to remember, the church, us, God's gathered people, are what Christ is doing in the world today. So let's look and see what the church is supposed to be doing. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you know what the apostles were teaching? What? Jesus. They were teaching two things. Their time with Christ. Here's what what Christ taught us and here's where it says it about him in the Old Testament they were teaching the Word of God and then it says and fellow and they were in fellowship the gathering Breaking of bread and prayer is what we're about to go into communion, and we've been praying, and we'll continue to pray. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's the, in the context of community. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. So they were going to church, and they were breaking bread in their homes. They were in their small groups, their d-groups and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, and now get this, and God, praising God and having favor with all the people, that means even the people outside of the church, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, that's how revival happens. Revival does not come to a nation, revival comes to God's people. That, and it happens when the Spirit of God takes the word of God and conforms the people of God into the image of the Son of God. That is what will bring revival. And for that to happen in our midst, in our time, we need to be a people who are willing to be trained to teach God's truth in the context of community. Guys, revival, we we need to pray. We need to be on our faces praying that God would stir the hearts of his people. But we also need to do what James told us to do. We need to be a doer of the word. Not just an effectual hearer. And the word tells us to go and make disciples. Not Doug. Not Adam. Y'all. If you are a disciple, your job description is I'm a disciple maker. I don't know if you knew that, but it's true. Right here. That is what will bring revival you're not going to turn there but I'm just going to read this one verse out of Ezra back in Ezra the book before Nehemiah just to kind of bring it back to that place and pray and we'll go into our time of response listen to these sweet words from Ezra just meditate on this in this time of response for a brief moment favor has shown on us by God to leave a remnant and secure us in his holy place that he might brighten our eyes and grant a little reviving. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I thank you that your word does bring many things, and one of them is conviction. It's the power. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the cross. There's power there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all men especially to those who believe Lord we do believe we gather here today believing that your word is powerful believing that we have a call on our lives to know it to walk in its truth and to share it that others might know it and walk in its truth but we also struggle with our doubts and our unbelief so Lord I, I pray that you would strengthen us that you would revive in us again the joy of our salvation. Lord, as we respond to you now in song and in communion, I, I pray that, that, that as the people in Nehemiah's time, as, as we think about what you did for us on the cross of Jesus Christ, that all of it was finished there, that we would just step in and go, of course I get to be on mission. What would I leave back? You are worthy of it all. And to you, be the glory in Jesus' name